0: to the Impact Church Podcast. We're still in First Peter sermon series called True Grace. This is a very important sermon. This is where Peter now turns to the body of his letter and he says Beloved, I beg you I implore you. And he begins to talk about how we relate with one another in this strange world we find ourselves in as sojourners and aliens. But the most important thing you need to embrace today. Day is a lifestyle of honor a lifestyle of honor is going to create a culture where the gospel can advance in any society or situation so come on join me give it a listen here we go uh we love jesus you love jesus hey we're in the middle of a sermon series called true grace true grace and that's all you talk about is grace because that's all that's important is good news That's all we've got is good news, and we've been told to go and tell people the kingdom of the grace of God, the kingdom of the good news. There's a new king in town, and he's nuts about you. He's a benevolent God, and he's crazy about you, and he wants to bring you as his child and hold you in his hand as a royal diadem that manifests. I want to show how great I am, Carl, by blessing your socks off and showing what your father can do. He's a good God, and it's true grace. Where do we get true grace from? It's, it's in the end of the book of First Peter. He says, I wrote this to you so that you could have a working understanding of the true grace of God. So I reckon if the Bible tells you what the Bible was written for, you should pay attention to the Bible. So this is a book all about helping you understand the true grace. Now we've dealt with the first chapter and a half, and the first chapter and a half is good news. Can you say good news? I mean, it is such good, good news. So 1 Peter 2, 9 says, but you are God's chosen treasure. You are priests who are kings. You are a spiritual nation. And why are you that? You are that to broadcast his glorious wonders throughout the world, 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 world. I mean, God has brought you out of darkness and he's rebirthed you into himself. You are a child of light. How is it done? The precious blood of Jesus has totally redeemed you, absolutely set you free. And now you can manifest that you are holy as he is holy. And you are a nation of king priests that manifest the goodness of God. You broadcast his glory throughout the world, world, world. That's what we've been talking about for several weeks. That's what Peter started this book with. He started with a glorious demonstration, declaration, theological treatise of who you are. He dealt with what your identity is. And we're so grateful for that because it's good news. Now, I'm very, very serious about this, all right? There's good news and there's good advice. If you want to look at your Bible, you literally could take two colors of pen, and you could take, you know, one color for good news and one color for good advice. And that's really all there is in the Bible, is good news and good advice. Why do I say that? Because if we're going through a book of the Bible, so because we're going through the book of the Bible, I have to pick up where we left off last. I've got to preach the next several verses. The thing is, this was a letter to be read on one occasion, we're we're breaking it up in little pieces, but this was to be read as a total one occasion thing, but it's hard to preach it all in one week. So we've been breaking it up, but it's all connected. It's all related. But Peter just told us a whole bunch of good news, and now he's stepping into some good advice. Say good advice. Now everything has a context. Was this book written to you? No. Is it written for you? Yes, but it wasn't written to you. Peter told us who he was writing to, when he was writing it, what was going on then. These were people who lived in occupied territory. These are people who were living on, and they were subjects of the kingdom of Rome. And this Roman empire, this totalitarian empire of absolute control, that's what they lived under. Do you live under that right now? No, you don't. They could never have imagined what you live under. You live under a place where people have rights and freedoms, and you're protected by courts of law. And I mean, you've got democracy. You can actually vote. If you want that person removed, you can say, hey, everybody, let's get rid of that guy. You couldn't do that back then. You had no rights whatsoever. There is a Roman authority in your life and over your life that if they chose to, they could kill you without reason just because they have that authority. And you know what? You're annoying. That's the life they lived. That's the context of this book. And if you don't read it in that context, you could start plying the good advice for their day like it's good advice for our day, and it's not! So when you interpret the Bible, if you take things out of context, if you take the text out of context, all you have is a con. If you take the text out of context, all that's left is a con. And if you do not preach the Bible properly and in context, you can come up with all kinds of nonsense that you try to apply as truth in today's world. And you absolutely cannot. It's honest to God, true, and a lot of crazy stuff has been done in the name of the religion because we feel we have to be absolutely authentic to every word in this Bible. You have to be authentic to every single word in this Bible that reveals Jesus. There's good news, and there's good advice, and the good advice that was written then is not good advice for us today. And if Peter wrote to us today, he would be writing to a group of people who are not under Roman uh, totalitarian rule, he would be writing to a group of people that have way different freedoms today than they did. So he's writing to them in light of the context of their life. Did I make that clear? Okay, Uh, 1 Peter 2.13, in order to honor the Lord, you must say you must. In honor to order, honor the Lord, you must respect and defer to every authority, every human institution, whether it is the highest ruler, whether that's the governor, or whether it is Nero, who is the most evil emperor ever, you have to honor him. And this pleases the Lord for you to honor a nasty, ugly, messy dude in all of his human institutions. Can I get an amen? Now, if you were living back then, you'd going What? I mean, I love this new church I joined. I love the freedoms we're enjoying. But that last message of Peter to honor Nero, is he a nut bar? I could say something really scary. You ready? Honor Trudeau. Honor Mr. Trump. Honor the mayor. Well, some people, if I watch your Facebooks a little bit, I'm not sure what's going on there, my God. But, you know, I could just take this one verse and put it right underneath all your little quotes and say, here's the Bible. But you know what? If I did that, I'd also be taking the Bible out of context. Because this was written to a specific group of people at a time. How are you so far? You know what? This is hard stuff for a pastor right now. This is hard work. I'd rather preach whatever I want. But when you preach through a book of the Bible, you got to preach through a book of the Bible. So that's what we're doing. All right? All right. Are you with me? I'm going to show you a picture. you ready? I started with this picture back when we started the whole situation, and here it is right now. Boom. See, there's me in the front row. See that handsome guy beside the handsome guy in the hat? That's me. It was a few pounds ago. Maybe... Maybe more than a few. But anyways, that was Cuba. That, that's the guy's home, but he gutted the whole front of the church so that he could, or his home, so he could have church. Outside the windows in the courtyard, they would open up the windows, and they would sit chairs all around the courtyard. Now, this is his home. We went there, did a week of meetings, never, so, never saw so many miracles in a week ever. Blind eyes opened, withered arms restored, people radically healed, immediately healed. It wasn't like, God bless you, you're healed, and that'll work itself out in your life. I mean, immediately we saw it done. It was just ridiculous, but it was so awesome. So he Right in that church, actually, right there is where I first time I saw a blind lady receive sight. Right in that building, right there. It was so cool. So anyways, what we did during the day is across the road, we were building a new house with very, very primitive little I wouldn't even call them tools. They were like hooks and things and stuff. It was just weird. Uh, We said, next time we come, we're just bringing a whole bag full of tools down. But you know, the government catches you when you come in and they take that stuff from you. And you're not allowed to take it to the people. I mean, I went down there and they took my guitar and they said, we're gonna keep it for you until you go back because you might leave it behind. I said, no, I promised to bring it back. So you had the sign that you had it and you had to show up with the guitar to take it home because they were afraid you're gonna leave a guitar for somebody. Oh man, I tell you, hard stuff. But with that church, we were building another house across the road. And I said, so you're going to live across the road, and you're going to use this building as church? He says, no, no. He says, eventually the government's going to come and kick me out of my home. He says, that's what they do. So we're building a house across the road. We're getting ready for the next church. I said, what? They're going to kick you out of your home? He goes, oh yeah, I've been kicked out of three homes already, and we're getting ready to get kicked out again, because you're not allowed to build churches. If the church existed before the revolution, it could exist, but Any new churches can't be built. So we just do church in our home until the government gets fed up with us. And then they come out and say, okay, that's enough. Get out. You're breaking the rules. So so we're getting ready to have another place of worship. Isn't that amazing? How would you like it if three times now your home has been taken from you? They just walk in and say, out. They take your home. Take all your assets. You're done. And what do you say to that? Praise the Lord. Aren't you glad you live in Canada? See, this book might make a little more sense if you were in Cuba because they were under that kind of rule where you know stuff got taken from you and you know it wasn't your own. When you go to Cuba and you say, isn't that Castro a nut? They're like, shh, we don't say his name. You never know who is around or who is watching and you can be arrested for saying Castro's a nut. But here you can say the mayor's a nut. You can't say that in Cuba. Now if Cubans come to America, they say, man, our mayor's a nut, but anyways. But if you say that down there, they don't. There's, so you know what? You would write a letter to Cuba how to deal with those kind of things differently with them. You would give them advice about how to work out their faith differently than you would to a Canadian. This was written to a group of people under totalitarian rule. So you have to interpret it in that context. Maybe we can draw some principles for today, but all of it does not apply. Do you get me? So sometimes when you're reading your Bible and you're trying to obey parts of that Bible, it's not parts of the Bible that you were meant to obey. If you do, you're taking it out of context. We're gonna show you how serious that is in a minute. Give you another picture. You ready? Here's another picture. That's us in Ghana, in Africa. I went there to speak at our International World Conference and very interesting because uh, uh, when I was there, uh, I, I called them and told them I was coming. They said, you better be coming. You're one of the speakers. And I said, when did I agree to speak? They said, last November. I said, I never remembered to speak. But then they sent me a brochure and my picture was on the front. I went, I guess I'm coming. So anyways, this was on the Sunday. I went to preach at this church. and They had two services. But they uh, just wanted to give us some colorful garments of their day. But you see, they're all wearing suits and ties and wearing nice things. And only men on the platform. Women aren't allowed on the platform. Because women just, you know, they're not. So anyway, I was preaching there. And when I was preaching there, you see the steps there. I was preaching from the pulpit, and they had a a woman who was there to translate for me, but she had to stand two steps down. She was not allowed to stand on the platform, so she was beside me, and she was interpreting two steps down. While I was preaching, I said, why are you two steps down? She said, oh, I'm not allowed on the platform, Pastor. No women. No women allowed. You know something? There's churches in London all over this region. Women aren't allowed in certain areas of ministry. They say we're all for women, but you're not. If you look at the leadership team, it's all men. You know why? Because you women can't govern. You can't rule because it's in the Bible. You guys are supposed to stay silent. There's churches in Canada that do that. And there's people who go to those churches and they call themselves feminists. And yet they go to there and they're subject to nonsense. Anyways, that's because they take the Bible out of context. And when you take the text out of the context, you know what you got? You got a con. And I'm seeing all kinds of women living. Women, you're awesome. Women are a big deal in our world. You know what? I've, I've fought hard. I mean, I don't know what Trudeau means when he says he's a feminist. I don't know what that means. But, but I'm a feminist. I mean, I have fought for the rights of women in religious structures for years. I'm telling you. My wife is an apostle in an organization, and you have no idea how hard that was. I mean, we had to bust through barriers. There's no higher level of governance and office in our movement than an apostle. And my wife is one, and she really is one. I'm telling you, stuff she's done for this movement is apostolic and brilliant. You know, but I was brokenhearted when this lady was two steps down. So I grabbed my notes and I came down. I said, can we stand on the floor together? She said, yes. I said, then I'm standing down here because I refuse to be above you. But you know what? When I did that, I put myself at odds with their culture. And I offended the men and the leaders of the day. And what I did was, you know, you folks in Canada may have it wrong, but when you come to Ghana, you do what you're told. And I'm like, praise Jesus. So it's difficult. And when I was there, I had to preach in a suit and a tie, and I had to bring extra shirts. And after every service, I had to undress and put a new shirt on because I soaked it right through. And I said, Man, in this kind of heat in Canada, I don't wear a suit and a tie, but I did it because I wanted to honor them. I did it because, you know what? I want to be received. I don't want to always be challenging everything. So, uh, you know what? If I got to put a tie on and sweat my brains out, so what? So sometimes you gotta, you got to figure out, is it worth a fight? You know what I mean? A little bit of sweat just to get accepted. I'm all for it. So there's different places, different things, there's different customs and cultures even in our land, but this book was written to people in cultures with specific problems that we don't have a clue about today, and they are not even possible to apply them to us today, but we could gain some stuff that I could teach about, at least. Are are you tracking with me? Do you understand how important this is? And I don't know if young people do. I don't know if people know how important it is to make sure that you can properly, the word says you should rightly divide the word of truth, showing basically that you're not ignorant. Rightly divide the word of truth. All right, Acts 5, 29. But Peter and the other apostles answered and said, we ought to obey God rather than men. Ha! We ought to obey God rather than men. Who said that? Who was it? But Peter said that. Peter, who wrote 1 Peter, said that we should obey God rather than men. Because they were told, don't preach in the name of Jesus. And he said, you know what? We are called to fill the earth with the name of Jesus. We are called to disciple the nations in the name of Jesus. So we're going to obey God rather than men. And yet that same guy later on is saying, you must submit to and honor every human institution. So you can see even in that, there's times where the sermon title is subversive and submitted. Subversive and submitted. So you can see that we're going out. Because when we say Jesus is Lord, if Jesus is Lord, who's not? Caesar is not Lord. Because they used the language of their day. When they said Jesus is Lord, everybody knew that, well, you're saying Caesar's not then? Caesar might be Lord down here. Jesus said, give to Caesar what Caesar's, give to God what's God's. But you see, Jesus is Lord of all And that was their message. What a subversive message. We have come in every place and every... But they didn't go to governing areas. They didn't walk into parliamentary areas and say, Jesus is Lord. They went into the streets. They went into the communities. They went to synagogues. They went to halls. And they taught. There is a king above all kings, and his name is Jesus. And they reached the people. They reached the people. And they were preaching. But you see, the people who heard them teaching were saying, this is a subversive message. And so they started throwing them in jail. People Peter, shortly after he wrote this, was crucified upside down. His wife was taken and crucified the day before. They gave their lives for a subversive message. And yet, Peter wrote this. You must submit to and honor every human institution. So somewhere we got to understand the context of this and the flow of this for it to make sense for us today. Hey! why so I love teaching through books of the Bible, because if you just read it, you might not take the time to figure this stuff out, right? All right, Galatians three twenty eight says, there's neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither slave nor free, there's neither male nor female, we are all one in Christ Jesus. Hallelujah! If you came to a church, and you visited this new faith, this new sect, this new religion, who was worshiping some guy from, from, some Jewish guy from Galilee, they say he's God. He was dead, and he's risen. I'm going to go check it out then you walk in and the teacher says there's no slave or free and you just came from your home and you got a master and you're very much a slave if you heard there's no slaves or free in the kingdom of god you go and yet peter also taught when you come to christ you have to stay in the same lifestyle that you were called in so you're like but you said there's no slave or free so i should be free but you're telling me to go back and be a good slave how many know that message doesn't work today? It's repugnant today. It's awful today. We abhor any way that any person would have any type of authority over another person in any fashion, any control whatsoever. It's detestable. And yet they talk about it like you've got to honor the institution of slavery. There are people who read our Bible and say your document is nonsense. Because they read that and they say, that's what has kept whole groups of people in bondage for years. Because your governing document is garbage. And if you don't know how to work and interpret your document, then you are not honest and authentic to it. If you don't understand how to interpret this, you're not a good believer. You might be a believer but you don't understand our document and how to explain it in today's culture because kids in university and all that stuff, Christianity is full-on under attack. And it's because Christians don't know how to interpret their own text. And we read stuff like, well, it's in the Bible. The Bible says so. You see, that's what they did for hundreds of years and kept groups of people subject because the Word of God says this. Are you with me? Do you know how delicate this whole thing is today? But we got to do it because we're preaching through Peter. I thought, can I just skip this part and move on to the good stuff? But you see, that's why the Bible is good news and good advice. But a lot of the good advice was for then. It's not for now. Hello. Is anybody learning anything yet? All right. All right. Good, good, good. Good, good. So the teachings of the early church challenged the authority of Rome. It's subversive. It's subversive. Romans sought to ex- any excuse to imprison Christians. So their message is so subversive. Right now, the Romans are looking for any opportunity. I tell you, if, if I got one of my subjects that goes off to one of those churches, he comes back to my house and gives me lip, I tell you, I'm going to whip him half to death. You see, because those teachings put you at complete odds with the culture you were in. We preach freedom. We preach absolute liberty. We preach respect. We preach that we are united. Every one of us is one. We honor and we esteem every single one above ourselves. That's our culture. I esteem you as better than me. I would never subject you to anything. I will love you. I will serve you. I will lay my life down for you. That's our dogma. That's who we are. And then you tell them, go back to your master and just be the best you can be. How many know that would be a bit hard? Wow, this is delicate stuff. But you see, people don't address it right. They don't teach it right. Or they just leave it alone and ignore it. Romans were seeking any excuse to imprison Christians. So you know what? If, If you leave this church and you go and you start to try to build a group of people and say, let's kill our master, and you're doing it because you went to church, you're going to make us look really bad right now. And that's what he's saying. But I thought Peter said we ought to obey God rather than man. We're trying to gain traction in this broken, messed up, totalitarian nightmare of a world we're in. And right now, Let's not rock the boat. Let's gain some traction. Let's go. If they're allowing us freedom to still gather and do what we do, let's let's gain some traction here, and let's be careful, because these people who bear the sword, they use it. And so we need some of us to stay alive to move this thing ahead. And Peter was saying that in the face of, uh, they're threatening death for me right now. Do you understand this now? I'm trying to pull you back into that first-generation mindset. Because we need to read it that way. We need to have a historical context. So open challenge to household the household code. Say household code. Say household code. See, because in the Bible, they took from the Greek culture and the Roman culture and they put in a household code. And because the household code is in the Bible and it's in New Testament teaching, that's where we've got ideas that women should be subject, and that's where they got the ideas of propping up for generations. They propped up slavery because they said it's in God's word. You see, there's a household code, and this is in the Bible. It's a household code. You see, and the open challenge to the household code of the day would have exposed the early church to even greater scrutiny. So he said, We are absolutely subversive. We are working against the structures of evil in this world. But at the same time, we do have to be honorable and submitted to structures. We still have to pay our taxes. We still have to honor our bosses. We still have to live honorable lives in the public. And they need to see our good work. So they need to see that. So yes, our message is subversive, but our conduct and our behavior is submitted. (sighs) Am I doing okay, Gord? Are we making it? We're getting there? All right, thank you. All right. Alright, alright. So let me read this for you. You ready? Patris Familius was the oldest living male house, uh, male in the household. He exercised absolute rule. This is the household code. He had autocratic authority and it extended over his family. The term in the Latin is the father of the family or the owner of the family is straight. The patra familia always had to be a Roman citizen. So every single person belonged to a family, whether you were a slave or you were a child or whoever you were or you were a free but not a free person. You were dominated and you belonged to a family. You belonged to a household and the household code, patra familia, somebody was over you in the Roman structure. And so everybody had somebody that they were directly accounted to who had absolute autonomous activity and authority in that world. And so that's how they did that. And in the Roman culture, they really believed that this is how we're going to keep the peace. The Romans conquered most of the whole known world. They said, how we're going to keep peace is we're going to keep peace by having order in the smallest unit. We're going to have order in the family. We're going to put a man, a Roman man, will govern and rule over his home. Absolutely, absolute autonomy. But if we give those people absolute governance, we'll keep the peace. The Pax aroma. We'll keep the peace of Rome through the household code. And the household code is found in the Bible, and people in the Bible teach it like it's, it's God's word, and it's not. It was just used as an example of, we need to honor these things in this culture if we're going to propagate and move the gospel forward. Thank you. Okay, I hope you're getting this, all right? So Aristotle, he said the smallest and the primary parts of the household are master and slave, husband and wife, father and children. So this is where the whole patra come from. First century philosophers Philo and Josephus included the household codes in all the writings. And so did Paul. So did Peter. So we got to understand that this wasn't the word of God. It wasn't the will of the father. It was something that was contextual in their culture that they were addressing because they were sharing good news. And now how do you advise them to live in this broken world? So the good advice of their time was not necessarily good advice for us. And yet we've done that. There are churches and institutions today that the man is the head of the house. Why? Because the Bible says so. And some of the most submitted women in voice only run the house like you wouldn't imagine. But they'll say, my husband's the head of the house. But he hasn't been the head of anything forever. But they prop it up because it's a part of the religious institution. See, that's in the Bible, but it's not in God. There's neither slave nor free. There's neither male nor female. There's neither Jew nor Greek. There's no racism. There's no gender-specific nonsense to rule or dominate anybody. Everybody is free. That's the will of God. But there are churches that do whole seminars. There's whole groups of men that have organized under the title of, we men better keep everybody in line. And it's in religious constructs. And it's evil. Is this camera on right now? It's evil. It's control. It's nonsense. And it should never be done. But it's people who take the word of God out of context and use it to dominate another person. Can I get an amen from somebody? Nobody should want to dominate or control another person ever. Ever. When we were given dominion over all the world, it did not include other people. It included all of other creation, but it didn't include other people. Be free. All right. So... Uh, arguing that man's authority over his household was critical to the success of society, many Roman officials believed that the household code, to be, it was so important a part of Pax Romana that they passed these laws ensuring its protection. So Peter was writing this and Paul was writing these things under the household code and saying, if we want to begin to continue to move the purpose of God forward, let's just keep the peace in this area. He said, so why don't we be good slaves... Why don't we be good wives? And that's what you're going to talk about. Why don't we be good children? Let's keep the peace and not create problems because they're already looking for any reason to arrest us. We're already saying Jesus is Lord, not Caesar. Let's, let's move this thing forward. Do you understand the context there, please? I double dog dare you to say that's not it because it is it. Otherwise, you are believing a whole pack of nonsense. Okay. Peter might have written it completely different body if he wrote it today. So we got the good news, the good advice. All right, we're going to look at the text. We're going to go through it really fast. All right, who's been reading first, Peter? You've been enjoying it all? You're going for it. All right, three people. All right, that's good. All right, verse 11 of chapter 2. Here we are. You ready? Ready? Here we go. You ready? Beloved. Beloved. So what is he saying? He's starting out with, okay, beloved. All right, I'm about to move into the body of my teaching. I just told you you're free. You're children of God set free by the blood of Jesus. You are priest kings. And he didn't say the men are priest kings and the women are almost. He said to everybody, you're all priest kings. You're all a nation under God. You are the vehicle I'm going to show my glory through. Woo! You're awesome. Now he says, beloved, 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 I beg you. Wow. That's a pretty strange language, isn't it? I beg you. I, I implore you. I'm pleading with you. All right. Well, What do you? What, 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 what? The whole language is changing right now in this text. He says, beloved, I love you. I'm saying this out of love. You're my beloved. I'm telling my friends. Oh, my dear friends. My dear friends. I'm begging you. I am begging you. What am I begging you? I'm begging you as sojourners you are. You're not of this world. You're born into a new kingdom. I mean, you're brand new creatures in Christ Jesus. You're sojourners. You have a new identity. You're pilgrims in this broken world. But I am begging you to abstain from freshly lusted, that war against the soul, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, that may be by your good works that they observe by your good works that they observe, like if you're a really nice person in your house and when you come to church, but you're hostile when you're shouting at the lady at the Tim Hortons line, I mean, no, no, not not in your home, not in your private world, but I mean, everywhere you go, everybody sees that there's something happening in your life. There's a manifestation of this otherworldly relationship you have with God, and it's on display publicly, and everybody can see it. So it's not just an inner purity and an inner beauty that you have. It's actually on display Everywhere you go, can I get an amen? All right, all right. They observe and they glorify God when He comes, which means these people's hearts are going to be changed. And when Christ comes, they're going to glorify Him too, meaning you're going to cause a lot of people to be believers by your conduct. I beg you, I beg you, I beg you. Thank you, that was awesome. Therefore, submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake. I'm begging you now. I know this is going to sound crazy. You mean Caesar? Yeah. I mean, the crazy, creepy governor has been killing us? Yeah. Uh, beloved, I'm begging you. I'm begging you to, to, to honor these people, whether it's the king supreme or governors or those who are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of those who do good, for this is the will of God. Pastor, what's the will of God for me? To honor everyone. Everyone? Yes. Go back through that drive through and that lady you shouted at, give her a tip and say, you're sorry. Honor everyone. That's the one principle I could pull out of this text. Honor every single person in your world. Mr. Trudeau, honor him. You don't have to agree with him. You don't have to vote for him again. You can send him a letter saying, my dear, wonderful prime minister, who I love and adore and pray for regularly, you are doing some silly stuff. That's okay. See, they couldn't do it in their day. If they wrote that letter, they would have had a group of soldiers at the door pull them out. That's the end of you. But we can So Peter would have wrote a different letter to us. But you know what? You can still write a letter of dissent with honor. Thank you, Stephen Henry. All right. All right. All right, for the message, verse 15 in the message, it says, it is God's will that by doing good, you might secure the ignorance of fools who think you're a dangerous society. You Christians are nuts. You Christians believe a bunch of nonsense. You Christians have propped up a corrupt document. Your God, he's he's just a nutty guy. He's a, your God's a racist, he's a xenophobe, he's, he's a, oh man, I can't, the stuff that it says about God in this book, you Christians are the vilest thing in culture today, you people are causing problems. How many have heard that? If you haven't heard that, you haven't left your house. If you haven't heard that, you haven't tried to talk to somebody. If you haven't heard that, you've been out of university for a long, long time. Because if you're in university, every professor would say, those Christian people are the thing that makes society Yuck. And they literally, straight up, they think you're a danger to society. But how are we going to change that? Because that's the wrong impression, isn't it? Are we a danger to society? No, we love our neighbors. We love everyone. We esteem everyone above ourselves. But that's not the message they get. So how do we change that? Beloved, it is God's will that by doing good, you might cure the ignorance of fools. People who believe that about us are ignorant. We need to help them understand properly. And how do you do that? By sending them letters and blowing up on my Facebook and just screaming at everybody? No, you actually enforce the nonsense we're trying to end. All right as free yet not using your liberty as a cloak for vice. I'm free to write anything I want, pastor. I can't wait to get out of this church and I'm I'm never seeing you again cuz you're you're complicit with the the fallen world. You're a, you're you're a, you're everything that's evil with pastors. You're a total mess. I, I'm going to stand my ground. Good for you. You're free. Don't use your freedom for vice. Don't cloak your vice and say, well, I'm free to do anything I want. You're not free. You are absolutely free, but you're not free to do anything you want. If what you think is freedom is, is slamming another person, diminishing another person, or maligning another person, that is cloaking your freedom so that you can do vice. Is there anybody here still? All right. So listen to what it says. It says, don't use it as a vice, but be bond servants be slaves of God. Be slaves of God. If we're going to be slaves of God, we better understand the relationship. Be slaves of God. Hallelujah. I got to go faster, pastor. All right. Be slaves of God. Here's four things. You ready? Honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. Thinking and remembering that in this context, it's honoring Nero who's taking Christians, dipping them in oil, and using them as lanterns at his barbecues. Honor that guy. So you look at the pattern there. Honor all people. That's all people. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Don't fear Caesar. Don't fear him. Honor him. Don't fear him. But you see, love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor all people. Honor the king. But you see what's inside of love? Honor. Honor. Because when you love each other, you honor each other. People should come to church and they should see a culture of honor. They should see a culture of love. They should see a culture where we serve each other gladly and willingly. We would lay our lives down for each other. And that culture should be on full display. That's who we are. We're strangers in this crazy, selfish world. Amen. Not strange. Strangers. We're called to be strange, pastor. No, we're not. We're called to be. Oh, Jesus. Oh, that wouldn't be bad theology. That would be bad grammar. Okay. All right. So servants be submissive to your masters with all fear, not only to the good masters, but also to the nasty, ugly, harsh ones. But my master beats me all the time, makes me do horrible things. honor him. Is there another church in town? Honor him, for this is commendable if because of conscience towards God one endures grief, suffering wrongfully. For what credit is it if when you are beaten for your faults, you take it patiently, but when you do good and you suffer still, take it patiently. This is commendable before God, for to this you were called, to this you were called, because of Christ who suffered for us, leaving us an example that we should follow his steps. Listen, it says to this we were called, this kind of suffering, this kind of honor we were called to, you have to take it in context. We were never called to slavery. We're done with that. They might have written it in the context of 1 Peter, but that's repugnant today. It might have been good advice now, but I hate that document right now because it should never be used against another person. It's repugnant. So you can see how that, that's, that's bad advice right there in our culture. The gospel and all Peter wrote, it was good advice, but some of this stuff, if you try to... Use that or make sense of that? Yeah, no good. Say no good. No good right there. Towards God, one endures grief. If you take it patiently, leaving us an example. Jesus left us an example, so he appeals. He, He says our behavior in these struggles, in these contexts, our behavior in these contexts should be like Jesus. So he says, Jesus never sinned. Jesus never did anything wrong. And yet he was abused, misunderstood. He was even killed. And yet he didn't even defend himself. So that's the kind of way I want you to approach wrongdoing, even if it's from evil people. Wow. Somebody say, that's hard. That's really true. It's really hard. I mean, I tell you, I get somebody just, you know, turns in the wrong lane. I chased them for three or four blocks until my wife says, what are you doing? I said, they need to know. I'm doing a public service. These people should be off the road and I plan to take them off. What are you doing? Beloved, I beg you, stop it. All right. Listen, He committed no sin, no deceit in him. He didn't do anything wrong, but he didn't revile. He didn't give reviling in return when he suffered. He did not threaten, but he committed himself to the one who judges rightly. What does he mean by that? Leave room for God to deal with that. If you got something you don't like, leave room for God. God, did you see that? I didn't like that. Leave it alone. Promise, I'll take care of it. Okay, I'm going to throw that one back on you. I'd like to be bitter and offended right now. I'd like to start a deep root of unforgiveness right now. But instead, I'm going to toss that one on you. You'll take care of that. Done. I'm going to forget it. Hey. Hey, leave room for God. Leave room for God. Trust him. He's going to deal with it. Trust the one who himself bore your sins on the tree, and he died for your sins, that you might live as righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed. Trust me. He died for your sins. He made you holy. Trust me. He'll take care of all the other stuff. He might even forgive that person, bring him into the kingdom too. That's the person who cut me off, sitting beside me in church. How can you praise God when you know how evil you are? I'm going to leave that to you, big fella. You forgave them? Really? Did you? Oh, you're lucky I'm not God. <laughs> I mean, man, I had a thunderbolts and lightning. Very, very frightening. Oh, it is. Romans chapter 12, 9 and 10. English, uh, English standard version says... Let God be genuine. Let, or let your love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. And I love this phrase. You ready? Outdo one another in showing honor. We're having an honor competition. It starts right now. Just quietly leave the parking lot. You first. No, you. No, you. No, you. No, you. Hand cleanser. Oh, you first. No, you. No, I insist. You. No, I... Take it! Okay, You've gone too far, pastor. Outdo one another in showing honor. So what can we pull out of this passage? The one thing I can pull out of an ancient text into today, honor everyone. Honor everyone. Honor everyone really, really fast. Honor is to honor, to revere, to venerate, and show great price is precious. Honor is relational. First Peter two seventeen. Honor everyone. Honor requires humility. Proverbs twenty nine twenty three. Pride ends in humiliation, but humility brings honor. Familiarity quenches honor. Jesus couldn't do any miracles in his own hometown because he said he's just a carpenter's son. Who's he think he is saying he can heal everybody? You know, when you got that attitude, you're blocking the flow of God's purpose in your life. But honor opens up the flow. But familiarity quenches honor entitlement the fruit of dishonor is entitlement i, I demand my rights ah, beloved beloved i beg you come under one another serve one another no way i demand my rights this is a generation of entitlement. Read this passage, Proverbs 30, verse 11 to 15. Read it all the way through because it says there is a generation that curses its father and does not bless its mother. And it goes on and on talking about a generation that is so entitled and it wants for itself. And if there's anything active in the world today, it's entitlement. I got my rights. Entitlement will never lead to honor. Entitlement will never bring about the kingdom of God in any expression at all. The entitlement, it says the, the leech has two daughters. Give, 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 give. The leech has two daughters. Give, give. I'm here to get what's mine. Give, give. I have a right to share what you got. Ha, <laughs> ha, Entitlement is an evil beast. Entitlement. All right. Honor releases faith. The centurion came to Jesus. He said, I know you are who you say you are. I honor you as the son of God. Just speak the word. My servant will be healed. Honor releases faith in your life. Honor engages promise. I just read Proverbs 3, 8 to 10 in the offering. Honor the Lord with your possessions. And you know what will happen? So your barns are going to be filled. You know, when you honor him and put him first, there are godly consequences that overflow in your life. Honor secures your destiny. Exodus 20 and 12 says, honor your father and your mother, that the days may be long in the land that the Lord is giving to you. See, when you honor authorities in your life, it says that you are making a way for what God is giving to you to come quickly. You are securing that destiny for you. It's surely going to come to pass because the way through it is honor and humility and brokenness and service is the way to get your destiny secured. All right, so honor secures your destiny and honor secures freedom, Romans 12, 14. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. When you make honor a lifestyle, you are free from control. When you make honor a lifestyle, you rid yourself of bitterness. You rid yourself of unforgiveness. You keep yourself absolutely free to the flow of God in your life when you honor in every single circumstance. Please stop clapping. I'm trying to finish. That's a really good verse. That is a really, really good verse. All right. It's 1 Peter 3 9. And we're going to get there maybe next week. But you know what? Look what it says. Don't repay evil for evil. Don't retaliate with insults when people insult you. Instead, pay them back with blessing. I hate you. You're evil. Oh, bless you. <laughs> You're such a rotten pastor. Oh, bless you. Bless you. Bless your little head. <laughs> Oh, I didn't mean little head by meaning little or small brain. I did kind of. But no. The pastor just said to me, bless you. What does that mean? Bless you? Bless. Bless and do not curse. Look at this. Look what this says. That is what God has called you to do. And he will grant you his blessing. Ah, ah. you his blessing when on every occasion when there's room for offense and room for you to get hurt or room for you to my rights my rights when, when you push all that aside and you say bless you and you find a way you do an act of blessing a deed of blessing send them uh, Tim Horton's card when you bless them you open yourself to God's blessing flowing in your life all right one more slide and I'm done just one more little thing right there oh I already did that one there it is what is honor waiting to produce in your life? I mean that. We, that, was a, that was a scary little passage of scripture right there. We did pretty good. But listen to me. Honor is a powerful force in your world. And right now, there are things in your life that are awaiting their manifestation. What honor is ready to operate in your life? What area... Could you work and manifest honor that will literally produce that fresh manifestation in your life? Come on, stand up with me. Hey. Wow. Listen, I told you there's two things. There's good news and good advice. The good news is he finished it all. He did it all. And because he did it all and you're absolutely secure and free, you can forgive, you can release, and you can bless because you're operating out of a new identity as a child of God. Therefore, there's no room in my life for offense or bitterness or grievances because I'm just way too blessed. I'm way too set up in God. So you got to let it go. So that's when you can do the good advice because you understand the good news. But if you don't understand the good news then living the Christian life might seem hard to you. But if the Christian life seems hard to you, that's because you probably don't have a firm grasp on the good news. That's why Peter started with the good news. (laughs) Because when you understand the good news, oh, the rest is gravy. It really is. Because you don't live out of your power or your ability. You live out of the life force of Christ in you, the hope of glory. Listen, maybe you're here today and you wandered in and what a crazy sermon that was. But I'll tell you, God loves you. He's nuts about you. And he wants to absolutely free you. He wants to bless your heart. Wants to change your whole world and your life. Wants you to be his child. He wants to lavish his love upon you. And listen, even online, if you've never done this, you've never before said, hey, I want to be a part of the family of God. All you have to do is believe that Jesus did everything necessary to restore you to him. And you have to say, I believe that Jesus is my Savior and my Lord. And when you do that, boom. There's a new birth. There's a new creation. There's something that takes place, a miracle from heaven that transports you out of darkness and firmly establishes you in his light. If you've never done that, you can do it today. And I'm going to count to three. I'm going to go one, two, three. And at three, the reason I do that is because I want you to put your hand up at three. You're wondering, how do I do this? How do I get in? At three, just put your hand up and I'm going to pray for you. Are you ready? One, two, three. Hey, anybody else? Anyone else? Anyone else? Put your hand up really high. Say, I'm in. Thank you. All right, you put your hands down now. All right, here we go. Pray this with me. We're all going to pray. You ready? Lord Jesus, I receive you right now as my Lord and my Savior. Thank you for forgiving me. Thank you for healing me. Thank you for setting me free. I declare... My sins are forgiven once and for all. And I am a child of God. In Jesus' name, amen. Ha! Woo! Hey, if you you did that online, you can go to our website, and there's a red button, the VIP pass. Click on that. You can fill out a card, give us more information about yourself. If you are here for the first time, hopefully you got a guest pack. If you didn't, so sorry cuz they're worth about $3,000. It's amazing. But uh but in that there's a card and the card in there it's gold. It's gold to me cuz what I want is just some information cuz I want to thank you For being with us today, because you could have done anything on this beautiful August day, but you spent it with us, and I'm so grateful. And so we just want to communicate and say thank you for coming. If you didn't fill out the card, fill it out now, and there's a box at the right hand of the door on the way out. There's a little round black bucket. Just drop it in there so we can correspond with you and send you a gift. (laughs) All right? All right. Can I bless you? I bless you in Jesus' name. I bless you with the love of the Father. I pray that the reality of it would grasp grasp your life and just grip you in every single way and you'd know how much you're loved. It would just overflow the banks of who you are. I pray the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the revelation of it would be so clear to you. And I pray that the fellowship and partnership of the Holy Spirit would animate you in everything you do, every moment of your life, that you would honor and glorify and demonstrate his kingdom. I command his blessing on you now and always in Jesus' precious name, amen. God bless you. Take your time going out. Honor somebody on the way out. (laughs) Take your time and be a blessing. So good to see you. There's prayer today. There's prayer lines here. If you need prayer, you came and you said, man, I wish somebody would pray for me. There's people ready to pray for you today. So come up here and you can put your feet on the yellow line. And these guys are ready to pray for you. If you need healing, you need a prophetic word, you need some kind of manifestation, there's people ready to pray for you. Otherwise, love you. Love you. God bless you. Amen.